And a warm welcome to Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold. I'm so glad that it's Wednesday and it's we're back in our Salvation Series. I have to tell you, I was awfully excited about our guest, our special guest today, Dr. Ian Paul, who is going to be joining us. Unfortunately, he ended up with a migraine headache and had trouble getting out of bed today. So he sent us an email uh, late saying that he was not going to be able to join us. He felt terrible about it. But we just uh, prayed that he would be uh, quickly healed from his migraine. That must be a horrible, horrible condition to be in. I've not had a migraine ever, so if you have ever had one, you have my sympathy. And Dr. Ian Paul, our guest, said, please, please reschedule with me because I very much want to be part of this conversation. But as you know, this series on salvation probably lasts six to eight weeks, and it's uh, done by myself and Dr. Peter Kapsner, who's on our studio line. Peter, welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks, Bill. That was uh, such disappointing news, obviously. There's so much that we had the opportunity to talk with Ian about, and I, I assume we'll be able to reschedule with him. But, boy, I, I do have a, a close family member who has had a series of migraines over the past 10 years or so, or maybe a few times a year. And outside looking in, that is absolutely not something you ever want to have. I mean, it's it's even from the, the, any kind of light at all, right, just completely oh, yeah. makes the it whole thing is, you know, blindingly mm-hmm. painful. So so I've seen it and I sympathize and, and disappointing as it is that we'll obviously hope for a speedy recovery too. The good news is we're talking about salvation and that is a very, very big topic with lots to cover. Yeah, and, yeah we're not going to exhaust that one anytime soon, right? right? And I just have to say our, our series so far, Peter, has been incredibly popular. Last week alone there was 22,000 downloads of the episode. No, wait. 22 downloads of the episode. So I was a little <laughs> off on my number. But let me just say, it's well, very, very popular. <laughs> a couple of zeros here and there, give or take. Who, I mean, you know that what? is very popular. It's all yes. pretty close. You know, so that's, so I've, got, we'll I've, got, down. I've got Merriam-Webster's Dictionary open, and the definition of, of salvation is deliverance from the power and effects of sin. There yeah. you go. Boy, it really is, too. I mean, right? When it, I know that we've talked already a little bit in, in some previous episodes about that meaning of the word salvation. Uh, at its root, at least in the New Testament, when Jesus uses it, when Paul uses it, when we see that word show up as often as it does, it does. There's sort of two dimensions to it, and one is to be rescued or delivered from something, as you just referenced. There is another part that sort of assumed that if you are going to be rescued or delivered from something, there is kind of this healing that comes with it, too. There's a restoration. There is the the way things are meant to be. So it's not just that you're delivered from something that's impacting you. You're also restored. And so there there are some pictures of that. When Jesus uh, comes to the lepers, for example, and heals them, leprosy is often— seen as a physical sort of analogy to that which is sin that so disfigures what we're meant to be. So when Jesus heals the leper, it isn't just to stop the leprosy. It's it's terribly compelling to me that as the leprosy is stopped and halted and rooted out of the leper, that that actual true face of the leper is being restored in those moments. And so it's a beautiful picture of salvation as this idea, I've been rescued from something, but not just so that it stops, but I'm actually being being restored into what I was originally meant to be. Mm -hmm. Peter, I want to talk a little bit today about uh, people who might be listening to Faith Radio um, more recently, and maybe they're, they're new in their faith, maybe they're just kicking the tires. And maybe they've heard the expression "God's uh, plan of salvation," and you think, mm. "What's up? Pl- what's the plan of salvation?" And I think if we started with the why, why would we need to be saved? That might be the first question. Why? Yeah, well, that is a good question, isn't it? And and there is a plan, and <laughs> and this is going to maybe sound sound as a stupid reference or resource, but. 
there, there's a resource out there called the Jesus Storybook Bible of all things. I mean, and it's written for eight to 12 year olds, I would say, but in, in doing a road trip across the country at one point several years ago with their young family, I found myself absolutely riveted to, to this wow. story called the Jesus Storybook Bible. And, and we, we just, we popped in the audio version of it and uh, drove across the state of New York. And, and I just was listening to episode after episode. And, and the point of it was that the author did such a great job of saying right from the beginning, uh, when sin entered into this world, uh, God immediately went on sort of this rescue mission. And and he didn't stand back. He didn't sort of fold his arms and say, well, that's it. I'm done with this whole deal. Uh, he immediately <laughs> put a plan mm-hmm. in, in place. And so, and, and so the Jesus Storybook Bible does this great sort of arcing job of describing God's plan of salvation from the beginning that he, he constantly was foreshadowing in different events of the Old Testament. And that's what we were going to talk about with Ian today, is some of that foreshadowing of salvation in the Old that then found its climax in the cross and and the resurrection of Jesus. But to the point of why do we need to be saved, the Bible is pretty clear that sin is not just something that we do. Like when I was growing up and, and I would hear the word sin, I just assumed that it was some kind of thing that I might have did, a behavior that I had that was... Uh, against what God would ask me to do. So when I would lie, uh, I would then uh, commit a sin. But what I what I don't think that I understood, at least back then, Bill, was that the Bible is inviting us into a more robust concept of sin, that it's actually a power that's at work in our lives. Yes. And, and what it does is not only does does it find its expression in our behaviors, but it continues to enslave and to enslave and to enslave and to disfigure. And ultimately, the end result of it is complete death and destruction. And, yeah. and those are those pictures that are provided in the biblical text about hell and uh, and what a final sort of place is going to be for the fullness of death and destruction that uh, that would be awaiting for us. So th- there is a saving from a destructive power in our lives that left unchecked. It's going to kill mind, heart, body, soul, the whole works at, at the end of the day. And so why do we need to be saved? Because there's something that's going to kill us, whether we're aware that it's going to kill us is different. It, it's sort of like, you know, having cancer and not being aware that you have cancer. There, there's something insidious going on inside of you. And, uh, and if you are not saved from it, you, you, you only have one end at the end of the day. And, and so that's really where that plan of salvation comes into play. Who needs Dr. Ian Paul? This is brilliant. Yeah, see, right, you and I can sort this out. Over. Yeah, yeah. Well, let's just let's look at a couple of things that the Bible says about, about sin. In Ecclesiastes uh, 7, verse 20, it says, uh, Surely there is not a righteous man on earth who does good and never sins. Yeah. And of course, yeah. the, the, the famous verse from Romans chapter 3, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And I love 1 John 1, 8, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. So there's the condition. We have all sinned and all fallen short of the glory of God. Yeah, I think those passages really do. They, they point out, I think, an important truth to cut through any delusions in which we might be living, that we might be somehow exempt from the influence of sin and, and, and the power that's at work in this world. And so we can maybe talk about some of the hopeful realities related to that, but, but you're not going to desire or want salvation or a healer or somebody to come and restore if you're not aware of the condition to begin with. And so rather than these verses that you just quoted uh, being read through the lens of a heavy hammer, you know, mm-hmm. somebody sort of thundering from on high with fire and brimstone and say, you sinner, all I've seen. And, and, and I'm not saying there aren't appropriate times for that to wake people up. But I think these verses just speak to a truth 
that regardless of whether it's said in a heavy handed way or in a way that's even invitational does need to wake us up and say, look, we might delude and deceive ourselves that we're somehow exempt from it. Or even worse, Bill, we might be aware of the idea that that sin is something that is maybe part of our lives, but we might not take it as seriously as we need to in terms of its destructive influence. And so there isn't anybody that that doesn't need a savior at the end of the day. And, and you can live a long time in that delusion and think, hey, I've done some pretty good things. I've done some pretty bad things. Uh, but that just, again, reduces this whole idea of our spirituality, the things that we do, as opposed to what kind of power is at work within us on a daily basis. And again, using the cancer exa- uh, analogy, on a day-to-day basis, you may not feel its impact, mm-hmm. but the cumulative impact of something like that over years without any kind of treatment, we know how that that situation ends, and that is how sin is going to end. So those verses are helpful to just not as a, as a hammer or as a weight, but to remind us of our actual condition so that we start moving into places of humility and dependence and some of these places in our lives. Yeah, Peter, if you had like stage 14 cancer, you'd want the doctor to come in and be honest with you. You, you, wouldn't, oh, it, you wouldn't want him to say, well, I think things look okay. Yeah, I mean— You're a pretty healthy and, and guy. Wouldn't, and wouldn't you call something like that good news if that doctor came walking in and said, and by the way, I do have a way out of this mess? I mean, oh that, that would be like the best news of all time. And, and I think, yeah, if you had stage 14 cancer, you, you would be on sort of like the end of your rope and, and hoping that there would be any kind of hope at all. And I, I once, uh, I heard a sermon series on the ideas of, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. And it was right out of Psalm, I think 50, in the Psalm 50s range, uh, oh, taste uh-huh. and see that the Lord is good. And the, and the pastor started out with kind of an interesting premise. I would have never guessed that he was going there. But he said, when is the last time that you've tasted your own depravity? Which is not a a super popular way to start a message series, (laughs) right? right? (laughs) And uh, and he said, you know, to to ask God to give you a bit of a whiff of the cesspool of your soul, if you trust who God is as the healer, then that is actually a really beautiful place to go with God. It's a scary place. but, But once you're fully aware of the disease that's at work, uh, then you're like, oh, I hope there's some good news in this. And you wake up hungry for the grace that God begins to offer and that he actually desires to bring that kind of deliverance and restoration. So to your exam- example, if a doctor came in with the terrible news and that terrible news is the truth, but the doctor also had good news, uh, that would be the kind of doctor that I would trust and want to walk with. Yeah, no kidding. Dr. Peter Kapsner is my guest. We are in our series on salvation. We're in week three out of, I think, week seven or eight. We're going to keep going for a while. And our uh, guest, Dr. Ian Paul, was not able to join us today, but uh, we're going to go ahead with uh, lots more on salvation and God's plan. The why, the what, the how, there's lots more ahead. We'll be right back. It is Salvation Wednesday, and we're talking about salvation over a course of six or seven or eight weeks. Dr. Peter Kapsner and myself are going to host a whole number of experts along the way, and our expert today was it was not able to join us, but this is, uh, we're going to move ahead anyway, Peter. We're going to uh, invite back Dr. Ian Paul when he's available and uh, relieved of his migraine headache. And in the meantime, I want to talk about 
this expression, God's plan of salvation. God has a plan. And whenever you hear that expression, I think to people who are new in the faith or just kicking the tires, they're going to want to know, what what is that plan? And the why part is that we all have sinned and we are sinners. And I I appreciate the fact that you uh, talk about it in in a way that is so honest and clear. It, It harms you. It harms others. And most importantly, it's it's dishonoring to God. Hmm. Yeah, I, I think, yeah, when when you look at even the events in the world around us, right, Bill, the, the, the world is clearly not functioning as it should. And, and when we look at the difficulty in relationships that are that's happening in our country and, of course, even around the world, uh, that that is just these expressions of the destructive influence of sin. And w- there is possibility for hope and restoration and renewal. But, boy, it's it's all around us. So you don't have to look much more past the headlines to see the why that we need salvation. Yeah, that's true. But if we talk about the what and I think, well, God, mm. God has a perfect plan. It's a a, a, a perfect plan because we're, we're just not able to save ourselves. There's no no way, no chance, no how. Yeah, I mean, right, there, there is no—I've <laughs> heard it said this way about the idea of uh, sin, uh, just by way of another analogy, and, and I guess analogies tend to help me a little bit more when it gets into these sort of theological concepts or words that might kind of lose their meaning because they've been used so often. But the analogy that I appreciate in terms of our complete inability to deal with our own sin is the idea that if you have a plant— and that plant gets some sort of disease to the plant, and Mm -hmm. and you can kind of start seeing it it, it eat its way at the leaves of the plant, that plant has no capacity in and of itself without some kind of external force or some sort of external uh, influence on it. It it can't relieve itself of the the disease itself, and and so that disease is going to kill the plant. Now, that plant is not the disease, and I think we have to be pretty careful about that when we start talking about the why and the what and, and what God is up to. Sometimes we can get a little bit confused and think that the sin is actually the human being as opposed to the to that which is winding its way and destroying the human being and the human being cannot escape that influence of sin any more than a plant can you know escape on its own the influence of the disease and so there does need to be an outside physician of sorts and it's part of why Jesus says I'm the great physician, right? I've come to, to heal the sick. And, and of course, he means that in the external world, but as he's healing people in the world around him, it's always a picture of the greater salvation that's offered, which is the ultimate healing of our souls. And so we talked in week one in this series about the idea that Jesus' very name means salvation, and everywhere he went, uh, salvation came. It's it's something I, I really appreciate uh, when C.S. Lewis talks about this in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, and the way that he describes the Aslan figure, the lion figure in these books, who is the the picture of Jesus, that uh, Narnia itself, the land in which uh, his, his chronicles are set, is is stuck in this deep freeze. And also an Aslan is on the move, and everywhere Aslan goes, things are being set right. Thing, life is restoring the way that it is meant to be. And so in, in that same way, when you see Jesus or salvation walking among us, everywhere he goes, everything is being set right. And, and so we do have this disease that's disfiguring us, uh, but we aren't the disease, we, but we, have, we are responsible for the disease. And, uh, and yet God in his grace comes, and everywhere he goes, he's about the business of setting things right. Mm-hmm. So in, in God's plan of salvation, I mean, God himself became human in the person of Jesus Christ. And of course, Jesus came to earth and lived a perfect life. He was sinless, and he offered himself as a perfect sacrifice on our behalf. Yeah. This is, if people ever ask the question, 
how is Christianity different than other world religions, uh, historically or even current ones? And you don't have the comparison in any other religion of a God who is willing to take it upon himself to be the one who provides the way forward through his own humility, suffering, and death. I mean, gods in different religious traditions are to be worshipped, gods are to be served, gods are to be appeased, uh, gods are to be afraid of. And uh, and again, some of those words apply to our Judeo-Christian um, religion, of course, in so many different levels, except that the big difference is, is that God, out of love, decided that the only way to be able to deal with this uh, sinful situation is to offer himself up and and go through the waters of death itself. Because, as we talked about earlier in this segment, the only end of sin, there isn't any other end to sin other than one, which is that you end up going through the waters of death and you end up in this eternal separation from God, uh, and you don't have any hope or any future. You can't set yourself free from that. Uh, but one of the the amazing mysteries that we see in this Christian tradition is that God was willing to become flesh and dwell among us. He, he gave us for three years of powerful ministry what salvation actually looks like everywhere it goes. And then he decided, you know what? There is one person who can walk through these waters of death, and death can't hold him. And, uh, and so that obedience to the cross that Jesus said yes to um, he was saying yes to going into those waters of death and saying, look, I can go ahead and and beat death itself. And in so doing, create a way forward for everybody else to also beat death if they tether themselves to me as the, as the one who has conquered all sin and all death. And if you're willing to do that, uh, I can begin the process of freeing you from the, this disease and this life, salvation in the present. But that'll just only be a foreshadowing of the full restoration that awaits you on the other side when I take you across those waters of death and into new life. Bill, you and I, we couldn't beat death on our own, uh, but but he became subject to death so that he could beat death, so that no longer would sin have its final hold over us. And of course, I think of 2 Corinthians 5, for our sake he made him to be sin who knew no Ugh. sin, so that in him yeah. we might become the righteousness of God. I heard a great uh, pastor give an illustration which just made me smile. But he said when he was a kid, and he and his friends would go down the basement, and they'd make all kinds of noise, and they'd be making, you know, all trouble and noise, and his dad would yell from the top of the basement stairs, quiet down, you guys need to quiet down. And then he'd yell it a couple more times. And then once he came to the door and said, don't make me come down there. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, right? Yeah, (laughs) and the sin of the world was such that, you know what, the only way to save us from our own destruction and sin is for... God to send his one and only son down to save us. Yeah, it really was. And again, he was the only one that had the capacity to deal with the fullness of that sin and to walk through those waters of death. And so he, when we think about the fact that, that God took on our behalf what we deserved, um, it's not so much the idea that, you know, there was a God the Father sort of uh, being in heaven who was mostly mad and really just wanted to to uh, throw us into hell at every possible turn. Um, and, but Jesus was sort of the good cop in this and decided to assuage the anger of the Father, right? That mm-hmm. It's much for the idea of him taking what, um, what, what, what we rightfully deserved, is if you can change the picture a little bit and say, God, from sort of this brokenhearted place of love that his beautiful creation was being lost through the foolishness of its own choices, in that love, he somehow was willing to humble himself and say, even in all your foolishness, I'm coming down to rescue you. Right. Uh, and, uh, and 
and so when he took the the penalty of sin that we deserved, um, it's not as much legal as the uh, like a legal penalty. Um, it, it was much more the idea that hey, we created the foolishness, and in that foolishness, we created a disease that's now wreaking havoc among us. And with that disease, it's going to kill us. But here's what I'm going to do: uh, as as a as a perfect being who is not subject to sin, I'm going to go ahead and take all of that sin somehow. And in some ways that I think I understand, in some ways that I don't, I'm going to become fully subject to that sin and empty myself in such a way that I'm going to allow it to take me through those waters of death. Uh, and in so doing, I can beat it, as we talked about previously. So when that father's yelling down the stairs, you know, it, it's it's not maybe the voice that, that I might have with my own kids, <laughs> right. which is, don't make me come down here. Right. Uh, it, it really is the voice of a father of love that's like, I will come down here, right. and uh, and I, I will save you from the penalty that you deserve. Right. So as we talk about this God's plan of salvation, there is the why. We have sinned, and there is the what. God did something pretty amazing. He sent uh, his only beloved begotten son, Jesus, to come down, who lived a sinless life and offered a perfect sacrifice. Um, And before we get to the how part of salvation and God's plan, and maybe the willingness, are you willing to receive this uh, gift? I want to start just interjecting along the way, Peter, some of the objections that you hear from people um, and some of the fears and anxieties they have. There's one pretty mm. common one is, is uh, you know, I don't really think of myself as a sinner, but I'm, you know, I'm a pretty good guy. I know I've made some mistakes, <laughs> but, you know, don't don't throw me into one camp or the other camp. Bible says yeah. something very different about that, doesn't it? Yeah, it really does. It goes back to something that we alluded to a little bit earlier, which is uh, that idea that if, if you delude yourself, if you want to believe the illusion that this is no big deal, uh, that's pretty problematic on every level. And, and it's not, I mean, again, I, <laughs> I can say it's not a big deal for me to eat 13 Twinkies a day, but, but if I'm going to eat 13 Twinkies a day for the better part of, of three or four years, I'm going to, re- you know, the, the results of that are going to become readily apparent. And uh, the idea that we think we can mess around with sin and, uh, and just, you know, it's not that big of a deal. I think we really sorely, underestimate the power of sin to wreak havoc in our lives. And once it's set loose, you, you can't control it. I, I have set a, a sort of a fun talk with my students. It's, it's fun, but it has a point for sure when I'm teaching at the university classroom. And we talk about things like academic integrity and making sure that what is in your papers is your work that is actually represented, that you didn't plagiarize, that you didn't use somebody else's work, uh, something along those lines. And I tell him, I said, you know what, you can go ahead and pull the wool over my eyes. You, you probably can get past me several things that you pass off on your own, but uh, and, and you might get an A. Mm-hmm. But now you're messing with the darkness that maybe you are underestimating about its ability to, to gain a foothold and then continue to wreak havoc through you yeah. if you let that darkness into, into your soul. And it goes back to the idea that the Bible is pretty clear that sin will not stop. The yeah. thief has come to steal, kill, and destroy, let's, and it isn't going to stop. It doesn't say that's good enough. Let's pick that <laughs> right? up on the other side, Peter. That's We're great. talking to Dr. Peter Kapster. We're on our Salvation Series. We'll be right back. Can I get out in time? Welcome back to the show. Dr. Peter Kapsner is my guest. We're in our Salvation Series. This is week three. And Peter, I cut you off pretty fast right before the break. There. I didn't mean to do that, but I actually, I did mean to do it. Yeah. 
<laughs> gave you great delight, didn't it? Yeah, it did. I felt very powerful at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Yeah, no, I didn't. Uh, obviously, I, I didn't see the clock on the hard break piece of it. But yeah, just to finish up that point uh, on that, I think um, to have a real robust understanding of, of what is happening here in that passage in John 10, where it says that the thief has come to steal, kill and destroy. Mm-hmm. And, and, and when you read other passages of scripture about the viciousness of uh, the spiritual darkness uh, of the of the demonic realm of what Satan is up to in this world. Uh, I think if you start with the idea that sin never gets to a place of being satisfied with its level of destruction, that it right. will continue to wreak havoc and wreak havoc and wreak havoc. Oh. The idea that you just said that, hey, you know, I'm a pretty good guy, I'm this, that, and the other. Well, A, you can't control the power of sin and what it's going to do in your life, and B, it's never satisfied. It's, it is not something to be messed with. Right. And I think of this verse out of 2 Timothy 2, and every time I read this, and I've memorized it, so every time I say it, I get chills, because Mm. it talks about the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but must be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. So opponents, this is people who are in opposition, obviously, to your message, opponents must be gently instructed in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading Mm. them to a knowledge of the truth and that they will come to their senses and escape yeah. from the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. Boy, that is a powerful uh, verse, Bill, and, and I think it, it dovetails perfectly into what we were just talking about, is you have Satan's desire to take somebody captive. And and here's what I would say. I've thought about this a lot over the years. about So what might be the methods and the strategies of the enemy if they were wanting to take somebody captive. In this case, what might be the strategies of Satan if he wanted to take somebody captive? And Satan shows up in two different kinds of forms in the biblical text. And, and one is that of a roaring lion who is seeking to devour and and uh, and to kill in, in those ways. And, and I don't know about you, but if I met a roaring lion on the street, Oof. it would be pretty clear to me that I'd want to run, right? I wouldn't be like, yeah, let's hang out and, and have a chat here. We're going we're gonna to run. Uh, from that, I wouldn't entertain the idea of lion, and I, and I wouldn't be too scared about the lion uh, taking me into captivity, as it were, because I'd be running the whole time. Uh, and uh, <laughs> right. you know, but but the flip side, Satan shows up as an angel of light in the biblical text, and and that's a much more troublesome analogy to me or, or picture of Satan, because what an angel of light is is somebody who appears for all intents and purposes to be the kind of being towards which you would want to walk. Uh, that that there would be the promises of hope, that there would be the promises of um, sort of peace in your soul if you walk that direction, or just the kind of, well, it's not that big of a deal, it's okay what you're doing, those kinds of ideas. That's how I would probably try to take somebody captive is through deceit. And Satan is known as the father of lies in the text, and an angel of light is the ultimate expression of that deceit. So if somebody is saying, hey, sin is no big deal, that is a pretty profound deceit. And the more you say that, more the more you're actually living in captivity and you don't know it. And if I was somebody who wanted to put somebody else in captivity like Satan in that way, the best way to do it is to have them in captivity and have them not know that they're actually in captivity. Yeah. And uh and and then you've got and then you're dead. That's what when the text says that you're dead to sin, it's when you're no longer asking even any questions about a different way of being. You just sort of assume that this is the case. That's a pretty scary place to be. And it would make perfect sense that Satan would want to appear as the most attractive possible being to you to say things that your itching ears will want to hear. 
Oh, for sure. I mean, think about how we just go ahead and and celebrate somebody who kind of can fudge on their taxes a little bit and that they beat the government or or think about, you know, ideas of beauty in our culture that you, you end up um, watching maybe, you know, some sort of Oscar award presentation and you see everybody all dressed up and celebrated. And and that somehow is beautiful when that's such a uh, it, it it looks like if you could become beautiful like those people that you would then have the peace of the soul, except you can never become, I mean, beauty is such a moving target. It's not even biblical beauty that's being represented there, but it, it sure is attractive and appealing and compelling. Uh, or it could be your vocation. It could be a relationship, you name it. But Satan is always putting idols in our faces that look very attractive towards which to walk, that promise peace and hope and joy. And every step you take towards them, it might give you a little hit of temporary peace and joy and those sorts of things, but it never is the fullness of it but it compels you to keep walking towards it. And boy, is that a scary place to be at the end of the day, because it sure looks like, well, maybe I just didn't do this relationship right, so I'm not. I'm gonna do the next one. Or maybe I didn't get this job right, so I'm gonna do the next one. Or maybe I didn't do that, that, that beauty treatment right, so I'll do the next one. You can waste an entire lifetime being in complete bondage to that whole way of life. Wow, that's so true, Peter, and so well said. So as we talk about God's plan of salvation, and I want everyone to hear this, the why part of God's plan is because we are all sinners. We need to be saved. We need to be rescued. I mean, I love these words because they're they're so powerful. God will yeah. redeem us. God will save us, rescue us. This is so uh, amazing. And in his plan of salvation, he sent his son, Jesus, who was uh, sinless, and he offered a perfect sacrifice on our behalf, going to the cross to die for our sins, and actually he paid for the sins of the entire world on the cross. Mm. So he can take dead people and make them alive because of his resurrection and because of what happened on the cross. Now I want to get to the how part of salvation. And a lot of people go, well, how do you get this gift? How do you, what is necessary? What happens? Yeah, boy, you know, that's the crazy thing about this God that we serve, Bill. You know, and and again, as we compare the God of heaven to, to the false gods of different religions, that are always are demanding sort of an endless run of sacrifices, or you can never quite get over that hurdle. You're always in this place of of um, bondage and and uh, and despair. God makes it pretty uh, pretty. It, it is easy and unbelievably difficult all at the same time. Uh, it's easy in the sense that there's only really one thing you need to do, but boy, to um, to do that work, <laughs> and and that work simply is, you know what I am. Uh, I, I will admit that I've got a cancer running through me called sin. Uh, I'm not going to play games anymore. I, I am not going to pretend. I'm not going to be in that place of denial. And and I do think that medical analogy holds right. I mean, for anybody who's experienced a difficult medical di- medical diagnosis, that one of the first places you go is denial that that it isn't actually true. But to the person who's willing to admit that this is actually true to the person that is willing to not downplay it and not say, you know, it's not that big of a deal, but to say, well, I really am walking towards death and, and I may not see it in its fullness right now. Uh, but I admit that, that this is part of the deal in, in my life. Uh, God offers this unbelievable uh, invitation, which is simply uh, to repent and, and repent. All it really means is to turn away from walking down one path and set your foot on another path. And, uh, and so to repent is simply to turn away from the idea that sin is not that big of a deal or maybe it doesn't really impact me or I don't really have that kind of future of death and destruction waiting for me. It, it's to, to say, no, I do. And so I'm going to turn around and I'm going to put my foot on a different path, which is, all right, 
uh, you're the physician. I'm putting my full life into your hands. Uh, it, it's the, what you, what you talked about earlier, a doctor coming into the room, it is the doctor explaining the condition, explaining that there is hope. And then it's on the patient to say, you know what, I'm going to go ahead and put my full uh, future into your hands and I'm going to trust you to go ahead and break the power of sin in my life, which uh, is the point of forgiveness. <clears throat> forgiveness is simply to break the power of what's going on so the, so the relationship can be restored and, and put my full life into your hands and, and trust you in those places. And that's when salvation begins to come. Mm-hmm. Peter, let's talk about what happened in the 16th chapter of Acts, where a man um, asked the Apostle Paul how to be saved. And Paul said, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Yeah. Yep. Um, so yeah, it's, that, that's the how, isn't it? If you want to be part of God's family, you, you simply believe. That's what? it. That's, it's always the first move for everybody. And believe is not the idea. I wonder if the facts are true. <laughs> uh, to, to believe is, is to surrender your full life. It's mm-hmm. to totally lean into it's, it's that, and I'm sure you've heard these kind of examples, right? It's, it's, um, uh, leaning fully over the cliff and letting yourself drop. And, 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 uh, if nobody's there to rescue you, you have no hope, but it is, you actually are going to lean over that cliff. And I, one of my favorite pictures of that idea of believe bill that happens in the scriptures actually comes from the old Testament when the Israelites are being invited to take their first steps into the promised land. And they're standing on the banks of the Jordan river. And, uh, and God says, when you put your foot into the river, the waters will part. And that wouldn't be that big of a deal if it was some sort of like little creek that they could step through that goes up to their knees, <laughs> right, right? right? You know, well, mm-hmm. okay, fine. Thanks for parting the waters, but I didn't mind a little bit of uh, of wet. That it was during the flood season, and those were rushing waters, and you had to actually step a quite a. Well, you weren't stepping down; you're actually sort of leaping down into rapids and a chasm. That Ooh. if those waters didn't part, you were dead. And uh, and and what God says is actually, I'm not going to part the waters, and then you step. It is when you step, I will part the waters. <laughs> and that meant that those waters didn't part until you were fully on your way down into the chasm. That's what believe means. It means that I'm going to fully trust that you will do what you say you're going to do. And so I'm, I'm jumping. I'm mm-hmm. leaping in right now. And when they did, those waters parted. And guess what? They stepped into the promised land. And there's, there's a richness in that that we could spend episode upon episode of, of sort of this, these initial pictures of salvation that we see. Mm-hmm. Peter, respond to this expression. It, believing is, I'm going to believe in, rely upon, and cling to. Hmm. How about that? I don't know how you, yeah, I don't know how you'd respond to that. But, but, isn't, but uh, isn't that what God's asking us to do? Yeah, it really is. And at the end of the day, gosh, you know, and, and it's, I don't want to say especially in America, but I would say that um, I think we can both safely say that's a pretty counterintuitive idea to what we're, we tend to be taught, which is that you are self-sufficient, you are independent, you don't need to cling to anybody. Right. And, uh, and, and this is exactly the opposite invitation. But boy, when you know there's a Father in Heaven who is so good and has only your well-being in mind, why wouldn't you want to cling at that point? I mean, I, I've clinged to other things in my life, Bill, uh, that let's just say that those things didn't work out terribly well for, for the peace of the soul. And, uh, and God is asking us to, to fully cling in those ways. That's independent of whether you understand everything about God. None of us are ever going to understand everything about God. And, and so to the person who says, well, I'll think about that 
if you can tell me about God in his absolute fullness, <laughs> to which I was like, well, right. he's a wee bit infinite, so right. that might be a struggle for me. Right. Uh, you know, and so in, even in the lack of understanding and the fullness, if you, to, to trust that he is good and then to cling, is, is those are the invitations that are rich, but they are not easy to say yes to, especially when sin is crying out the whole time saying, don't do it, don't go there. Right. Uh, as, as it's deluding us. But that's the invitation. Right. Dr. Peter Capture is my guest. We are in our salvation series, and I'm certainly enjoying this. We're going to do this for six to eight weeks, and we're going to put all these episodes together so you can put them all in a downloadable file and maybe binge listen on a road trip. That's what I was thinking anyway when we started. We'll take a short break, and we'll be right back. back with our salvation series. Dr. Peter Kapsner is my guest. Well, he's not my guest. He's my, he's my co-host for this series. I wouldn't, I'd be in trouble without you, Peter. Well, that was a pretty solid bumper music you had coming in there too for this last segment. I, I agree. So as we talk about believing in, I think of someone like Peter who uh, was willing to risk his entire life for Jesus. And then that uh, transforming moment where he was outside in the courtyard, and he denied him three times. That was in the course of, a, what, three, four hours? <laughs> all right. Gee, I, I, <laughs> I can hardly sympathize with that at all, Bill. I know, I know. So when right. we believe, and I think the is the Greek word pistuio, that yeah, that's exactly. the, the moment where we say that is the requirement for salvation, that you believe uh, Jesus yeah. Christ did what he said he did, he, what God said he would do, come to the earth, go to the cross, died, buried, rose again. That's the gospel. It, it absolutely is. And, and that is when a new power gets set at work in you as well. And, and this is the thing that, that I know you and I talk about a lot, which is a lot of people are very understandably troubled by. So, so I did this, this belief thing. I really did lean into, I, I really did want to cling to. So why am I now like in a place of denying Jesus three right. times or whatever right. that is, right? And and so let's just go back to that same medical example that we've been using. So you might say yes to that doctor who comes in with the good news that there is hope, but that treatment that you end up going through <clears throat> related to the cancer is not is never going to be instantaneous. It it begins to take effect. Uh, it begins to battle against the insidious reality of, of the disease that's inside of you. And the scripture is clear all along the way that this is an ongoing battle in this life. We we live in a world that is ruled by the principalities and powers of darkness. Uh, the power of sin is always going to be around us. Uh, and and just like the cancer doesn't go away, just like that because of one treatment, nor does the idea of the sin that is so wound itself among us. But But unlike a cancer treatment, where the end result of it remains unclear, however hopeful it might be that you begin to enter into a treatment, um, it is akin to a doctor saying, I am going to give you this treatment, and here's what I promise you. It will work in the end. There is zero chance that it won't work in the end. 
And, and I can't imagine getting that. I mean, I would be satisfied if I had a difficult cancer diagnosis for a 50-50 shot, right? Right. Um, and, and in this particular case, what the great physician, that being Jesus, offering to us is that in the end, I promise you, you will be fully healed and restored. I, what's going to be required, as the Bible talks about, is that your body that has been sown in a, what's called a perishable way or a body that was sown within the fragmentation and the brokenness of this world, it will be raised imperishable. Uh, you will have a new body. You will have a new set free from sin kind of reality that is awaiting you as you swim through those waters of death with me and into a new kind of life. I promise you the outcome is full restoration, but it's going to be a battle between here and there. Uh, and yet you will taste the fullness of that future restoration enough in the present to want to keep saying yes to, to me being the physician taking you forward in that. And that's the journey that we enter into. So for people like myself, like all of us. I, I don't think there's anybody that sa has said yes to Jesus and believed in that way that's like, well, that's pretty sweet. I got the rest of life dialed in here. No more trouble. Right. Um, there, you know, It just doesn't happen that way. You're saying yes to what is an ultimate outcome that awaits for you. Uh, and, and it's going to be painful. And I mean, my gosh, I know some people who've gone through chemotherapy here recently, very close to me in the last year. And that chemo is brutal. I mean, it, it wreaks havoc, right? And and some other the treatment protocols, and yet it's it's doing something that is beginning to rid the body of the cancer. And I just think that it would be really helpful for people who want to sign up to this following Jesus thing and giving their lives to to our Savior in that way to be very clear about what the road ahead looks like. The outcome is certain, but now the battle's going to begin. But I'll tell you what, to, to enter into that battle is infinitely better than letting the destruction continue to wreak havoc and ultimately kill you in the end. And so, so enter into the battle and trust, and, and you will have weird things happen, like, like peace that begins to flow it in, mm -hmm. even though your circumstances don't change, or sort of a weird sense of joy where you can laugh with freedom. I mean, Bill, I, I've experienced you over the years and, and a number of other people that I think one of the great signs of God's salvific work happening in our lives is people kind of laugh with freedom. And it doesn't mean you're laughing in the face at stuff, but it, there's sort of a joy that begins to, to bubble up inside in weird ways that there is, a, there is a freedom of laughter in that. And there's so many other things that happen as a result as we engage in the battle then in this life. So yeah. those are really people's options, right? To, to stay subject to it and let it kill you in the end or engage in the battle and experience some of the joys in the list life with the outcome certain at the end. Mm -hmm. I know I think of in God's plan of salvation that always has this invitation to receive. That's part of the plan. Are, are, do you want to receive this gift? And I yeah. remember uh, reading Stephen Covey's book, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. I probably read that yeah. many, many years ago. And you always, one of the principles is you start with the end in mind. So what's the mm. end? What, what's, what's the end? And all you have to do uh, is maybe read obituaries for a couple of days because they're, they're yeah. little biographies of people's lives. And it's interesting who says... Uh, what Obit will say, uh, you know, so-and-so departed this earth today for their, their heavenly reward, and they're now in the presence of the Lord. And then there's others that go on and on and on about everything they did in this life. And, you know, there's no mention of spirituality whatsoever. They're almost like they're trying to justify yeah. uh, their existence. Yeah. But now they're gone. And I want to say, where are you now? Where yeah, are I, you uh, now? Because what does any of this matter? Your degrees, uh, your accomplishments, your hole-in-ones, who cares? 
Yeah, I mean that that's it right there, right? And <laughs> funnily enough, I was I was golfing yesterday and came within six inches of my first ever hole in one. So so you're really speaking to me at this point. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Awesome. <laughs> Bill, Which would you know I'm sure a minute injury obituary. Yeah, you know, please if one. I go before you, make sure and, and you're doing my eulogy, at least mention this conversation I will. Uh, at this point. But yeah. You know, but that's just it. And I think for for people that have lived a bit of life, like I'm sure some of our listeners have, like you and I have, and and you begin to see at least the pathway of what Solomon used to talk about, where vanity, vanity, all is vanity. The idea of the things that we can give ourselves towards in this whole world, and yet, boy, life is just a vapor, right? It's just it's just mm-hmm. a whisper. It's here today and gone tomorrow. And and um, the idea of having eternity set in our hearts, and and that there could be that kind of eternity set free as we begin to uh, lean into who Jesus is and know where our destination is going to be. I love that cubby phrase that you gave, that you start with the destination in mind. And I don't know what people's pictures of heaven might be, but I think safely we can say that heaven is our actual home. The, mm-hmm. the Bible is pretty clear on the idea that we are, are citizens of heaven walking in a foreign land and in a, in a strange territory called this earth, mm-hmm. but we're actually we're, we're from a faraway country. Um, and, uh, and that's, that becomes our citizenship. When we give our lives to Jesus, we have a change of citizenship and, and our citizenship becomes that of heaven. And so now we're, we're walking towards our heavenly home as our final destination. And Jesus says, I'm going to prepare a place for you. Mm-hmm. And it's going to be the kind of place where you will be fully set free and fully healed. So the last part of that for me is <clears throat> the, the, the times that I've had to travel away from home in this life, uh, there's always a sense that when you're when you're getting closer to home, because travel is always a bit disorienting, you're always a little bit out of sorts, the food's always a little different, the way of life is different, everything always has you a bit off balance. And this world is just one big off-balance place all the time. And But every time as I'm traveling and I get closer to home, I begin to anticipate that home. And, mm-hmm. and especially when I get out of the car in the driveway and I take the luggage out of the trunk and I start walking across the threshold of my door, I'll tell you what, there's a peace that comes and I can say, oh, I'm finally home. Right. And, and I think whatever that is, is just a teeny, like the smallest of tastes of what it's going to feel like to actually get into our heavenly home. And, and the older I get, it sounds kind of dumb, but, but I, it, it's sort of like I can almost sense that music of home beginning to call and saying, you know what, your, your home is still waiting and, and walk it out, continue to bear witness to me in this life. Uh, but your home is waiting, and I promise you that that's the end destination. Yeah, so I want to invite all the listeners, if you're uh, ready to follow this plan of salvation that God offers, and, and you want to say, yes, I want to place my faith in Jesus as my Savior, because you've understood from this time together that we start off this life um, in sin, and that that is our condition, and that the cross and the resurrection of Christ removes that and gives the righteousness of Jesus to you. So if you want to embrace God through Jesus Christ and trust in the sacrifice of Jesus as the full and perfect payment for your sins, you can do that right now. Ask Mm -hmm. Jesus to forgive you of your sins and to come into your life and be your Lord and Savior. And he will Mm -hmm. do that because you have done what the Bible has asked. You have believed. And because you've believed... You have become saved. You have become what the Bible says is now, you're now born again. I know mm. it sounds really simple, but God knows your heart. And if you have prayed that prayer in your heart today, I'd love to hear from you. Send me a text and say, you know, I did that today. 
877-933-2484. Peter, it's so much fun talking about salvation. Oh, you know, Bill, I, what a what a delight. I'm sad that Ian wasn't with us today, but boy, for you and I to have a chance to just simply bear witness to to the beauty of who Jesus is. And if there's, you know, people that are like, yep, no, this I, this sounds exactly what I need. I mean, I can't think of a better way to spend time together. Yeah. Well, I'm looking forward to our time with Ian, and we also have a number of other uh, guests that are going to be really exciting to have in this series on salvation. So thanks for your willingness to uh, do it and to continue to do it. And um, that is uh, that wraps up our show, Peter. So thank you very much. That sounds great. Great to be with you guys, as always, Bill. Yep, thank you so much. That wraps up uh, our show, and that is our show for the day. So thank you so much for listening and supporting Faith Radio. Again, if you listened to that last hour and you've said yes, and you said, I want to be forgiven, and I want to have a personal relationship with Jesus, and you made that decision today, I would just love to hear from you. You can send me an email, bill at myfaithradio.com, or you can send me a text at 877-933-2484. Have a great night, and God bless. I'll see you tomorrow.